0: Howdy. Welcome to the Louisiana Equine Council Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Dahl. Our guest today is Mr. David Carter of Natchez, Mississippi. David is a graduate of LSU with multiple degrees in animal science, ag business, and education. He has worked for over 16 years as a 4-H and county agent for Mississippi State University and the LSU Ag Center. He then spent a little formal time in the world of politics as well. He's the owner of the Double C Ranch and founder of Great River Outdoors, a Garocopole aficionado, and likely the next governor of the great state of Mississippi. David, how are you doing today? I just hired you as my campaign manager. Sir, you hired. I'm I'm good. I'm good. That sounds good. Do I have to live in Mississippi, though? (laughs) You you do
1: not. You forgot to add on there, though, that I was one time the Louisiana State Sheep Shearing Champion as well. That needs to be on that resume, too.
0: Goodness, I would have put that first. I honestly would have. Was right. <laughs> that with mechanical shears or electric, or, or how does it go?
1: I've done, you know, I tell you, when I, I grew up in kind of the 4-H program in Louisiana, 4-H, and I had to go to short, you, you remember short course, was you in 4-H? Mm-hmm, yep. Short course, and I signed for the last minute. I was from St. Tammany Parish, which was a big big 4-H parish, and the only thing left was sheep. Now, I grew up showing sheep, with sheep shearing, all right? So we had a guy named Earl. He actually died last Sunday. He was ninety-three, who sheared sheep. We think horse training is a tough living. This dude sheared sheep for a living. All right, <laughs> he'd go like to Colorado for a few months. He'd fly overseas to New Zealand sometime. So for a couple of weeks, he hauled me around shearing sheep. Then I went and did it in short course. Ended up winning that and really my way partially through college shearing sheep. Now out there is a damn hell of a living. I'm gonna tell you that. You know what I mean. I'd rather, I'd, rather start, I'd rather start 10 dang bad Hancock Colts than go shear 100 sheep again. You know what I mean?
0: I bet your hands dang. are nice and soft while you're doing that, though. All the right.
1: You're <laughs> right about that. Yeah.
0: Well, you did play football for LSU, and you have started loads and loads of horses, and you're now north of 40. So, I think the burning question I have for you is, how much ibuprofen do you go through in the course of a week? I got a good woman at home keeps, me, keeps, keeps me, uh keeps me young.
1: Part of it, I think both of us are at the stage of life. There's a point you don't play football no more. And there's a point you learn you can't start Colts no more, you know what I mean? Yep. Still start a bunch of them. But, yeah, I'm certainly at that age where I'm more selective what I climb on top of, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Don't bounce there as good as we do. And, of course, I've got help at my place that trains with us. So, yeah, I got a 20-year-old kid who used to be a bull rider, and he's now the one that hops on the ones that go crazy. That's Perfect.
0: Uh, well, why don't you tell us a little bit about the empire that you and your wife are building over there in Mississippi?
1: Well, I tell you, Louisiana is one of the things that's always home. I love it there. But me, been good to us. You know, me and my wife met down there at LSU, at the LSU Ag Center, actually at the uh, annual livestock show and rodeo. She was a student worker for the LSU Ag Center, and I was a I guess I was still a student worker on the farm as well. And uh, we met there and lived there for years. Like I said, I was the the county agent in East Baton Rouge Parish for nine years. And she's from Natchez, Mississippi, so we moved back up here. And we've been blessed. Uh, I spent some time in politics. Like I said, the the place we actually bought, Double C Ranch, was actually a place we looked at before we got married and was broke. Couldn't couldn't even afford a single-wide trailer, you know. So we stayed in Baton Rouge. And uh, after Hurricane Katrina, just good Lord gave us, you know, it's not far from where she lives. And the place we loved when we got married was for sale again. We went and checked it out, and it just all worked out. So, we, we, we've been blessed to get a nice place, a beautiful land, a lot of water, a lot of rolling hills, a lot of woods. great for training horses, great for raising cattle, and great for raising kids, you know. So, uh, it's been good for us. We've probably trained. Man, I, I bet we've had 1,200 horses come through there. We've probably trained through there, you know. um, At our peak, we were training over 20 a month. You know, now, of course, we don't do them numbers no more because we've got kids we're raising too, you know, full-time. Yeah. Great for outdoors, you mentioned that. That's something we started up. Really, just by coincidence, get a random call one day when I was working for the extension service. You know, when I left LSU, I worked for Mississippi State Extension Service for years. Got a random call, somebody wanted to come visit Natchez. You know, we're a historic town, but they would they don't want to do nothing historic. So I did some horse training, some cattle stuff with them. And four years later, I'm in a meeting downtown uh, with the rearboat companies they're like, Hey, we're trying to find a guy in this town that that they can do these tours. I said, Well, what they do? And he starts explaining it, and I'm like, that dude's talking about me, you know? So we worked it out. So now, you know, we got a company that uh, we take tourists off of riverboat systems, take them to our house, do horse training for them, put them on full-wheelers. we got big archery ranges, tomahawk ranges, you know, cow cap operation they ride through. And then we take them back to the boat, and they love it. And So we do that uh, about 200 days a year, you know? Of course, my full-time job, I guess you'd say, I have a lot, is we own the River Honda ATV dealership as well. So we're a rural part of the state, a lot of farmers, a lot of hunters, a lot, lot of ranchers. So we sell. Uh, we're actually got the one of the top twenty Honda A T V dealerships in America right here in Nashville, Mississippi. So blessed, blessed on that as well. So, so we have been blessed and fortunate, in Mississippi, and uh, and it's been good to us. Well,
0: that's good. I, I have to say I'm kind of a one trick pony, and my mind stuck at one particular spot there. What does the insurance run on a tomahawk throwing range? Because I'm guessing it's got to be surprising. Yeah. It, it costs it costs more to get a van to drive them out there. And keep in
1: mind, this is this is riverboats, so our average age is about 75 years old. <laughs> senior citizen Tomahawk and Arthur shooting, you know what I mean? And you know we've 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 had a couple thousand of folks come through. We've only had one injury. An old lady tripped, patting a horse, fell in, and broke her pelvis. That's the only injury we've ever had. So, yeah, we you've you got insurance is pretty stout. I ain't gonna lie. But you gotta do it for It's a business expense, you know what I mean? Yeah. As I said, everybody said, that sounds fun, you know. Them kids mustn't join us. And no, we but we've had we've had many couples up in their 90s. I think 96 is our record right now for throwing time off with us.
0: So, that, that's something. Um, it's,
1: it's, it's a good experience. It's taken off force, and it's almost the point at some point that may be my sole career, because it's it does really good.
0: Cool. Well, uh, for those that might not know much of your horse credentials, why don't you take us back through some of the Mustang makeovers and colt starting competitions and that sort of stuff that you've been a part of? Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm not somebody that grew up with horses. I grew up with sheep, grew
1: up with, uh, you know, uh, showing sheep, showing pigs and forage, And I really never even rode horses except like at a buddy's birthday party or something like that. And I, I went to LSU and got a job at the research center out there. I remember I got there, and they had a horse for me. The name was Monkey, all right? Now, it shows how little I knew at the time. Monkey had this big, weird brand on him, okay? It was was what they called the running W, okay? I didn't even know what that was at the time. I just had a horse with this big old squiggly down his butt, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Things you look back, and I never really talk about that horse much, but I rode him for probably three or four years. And the time, I had absolutely no clue how to ride a horse. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. that horse – back took such good care of me of course he was probably the only ranch with only horse with the king ranch brand i'll probably ever ride you know what i mean
0: yeah
1: i remember he died actual christmas eve i went home for christmas eve uh christmas came back two days later and they said he died running into the barn just dropped dead you know but uh old, old you know you look at horse that kind of help make you what you are you know what i mean and you know so out there at the farm for several years you know kind of like they talk about the old cowboys and the trail drives it just there's your horse check the cows every day and just get it done you know what i mean and I can remember they brought us two horses to kind of start and use on a farm, right? And I wish I could video how we started those horses back then. We didn't know what the hell we was doing. We tied them to a foam pole. We dropped them down on top of them. We'd get on them suckers and just turn them loose, and they'd hit the ground. And after about two or three months, you could kind of ride them. We felt was, we, was, we was legit, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, Clint DePew was one of the first ones. I just loved it, you know. And Clint, DeFuse started showing me some stuff, he probably thought I was a dang Yahoo from uh, downtown somewhere. And then I had the chance to go to Honduras one summer and train some horses. And it really I can remember it was down there when it kind of clicked to me when I really And it's a lot of folks, you just don't ever have this experience where you really think you're good at something. I really thought I was a horse person, by all means. And I went down there and after like two days, I realized I am absolutely horrible. You know, we, you know, we use the whole fear and force concept, you know, we'll just buck them out to the quick bucking. And it took me literally probably six to eight weeks. We did a few of them LSU to, to get them good. And I go down there and they're riding these suckers in two or three days. And I'm like, how in the world are they doing this? You know, so from that point I'd say it kind of changed my horse career. And I really was just somebody that was thirsty for horse knowledge. You know what I mean? Uh Clinton Pew was a huge factor in terms of teaching me how to feel a horse and understand rhythm and balance. But as in my LSU days, you know, Howard Cormier was a big person that influenced me a lot. And I just really started, you know, just, you know, that was right when all the clinician things were getting big. You can see the Pirellis and the Andersons. And i just studied everything I could learn about horses. You know, I came to uh, Mississippi. I remember it was at a lunch and, and I started training. At that point I was training horses pretty far. When I moved to Mississippi, I had a pretty good little clientele base. And, and somebody said, you need to do this Mustang thing. I said, man, heck no. So I remember – we was in a meeting and the guy that owned the Chevrolet dealership up here said, Dave, if you do it for Natchez, I will actually sponsor the whole thing and we'll just name the horse Silverado after our truck. So I signed up and actually did it. And of course, you know, we we were phenomenal there. I think we were tied for second out of 200 people. You know, we I think we were the only person that did the whole thing, bridle it, shotguns on him, had him laying down. And and I tell folks, Silverado was probably the hardest horse, one of the hardest horses I ever trained. I remember, I remember I did that. I think we got him a year after I did that big Colt start thing at the Ike Hamilton for the Louisiana equine council. We had that little three hour Colt start thing that I won. So we did Silverado. We had a big thing. The newspaper covered it. And I was going to kind of start him. In, you know, one day we brought him up there. I spent like four hours with that son of a gun and I didn't even touch him. You know what I mean? The next day I spent like three hours. I didn't even touch him. And I told folks, I said, look, I got a process I use and it's worked. And that's all I know to follow. So I'm not going to try to deviate. And it probably took me nine hours Literally, to put one finger on that horse, but after I put one finger on him, 30 minutes later, when had like a saddle up loping around, and he was probably the easiest horse I ever trained, hardest to start, but easiest to train. You know, what I mean, you you it. Yeah. yeah, and then I just was blessed. You know, I showed him some of the stock horse show stuff a little bit, showed a little bit, had pretty good success showing, uh, for, for, for the little bit I put into it. But you know, again, about that time in my life, I had kids all coming up, and that was pretty much my priority, and, and I just I competed so much growing up in sports that I never had that burning desire to really compete as a horseman. I love training. I love starting. I love advancing them and love to show some. But not. actually, the last time I showed was, was last year. This is kind of funny. I got a daughter who's 12, who was an extremely good rider. Okay. And she wanted to go do a team sorting. So I said, I was going to take her. Well, the last minute I took that old mare cash. You might have been that mare cash. I kind of showed over there. Mm-hmm. I brought there a few, that bay mare. Mm-hmm. So I took her with us. She's, she's, I, I don't know how much you weigh, Daniel, or how big your girth is, but I can tell you this horse here is busting at the girth. Okay. So I took her over there and we showed, and there's like 80 teams. All right. Well, I end up winning the son of a gun. All right. <laughs> and like one that come out there saying, Look, it ain't fair. You got, you know, you're kind of a professional trainer. I'm like, Ma'am, have you looked at my dang horse yet? And they like, I got no, I sucker It's the fattest thing here. Can't move. But so we won that. That's the last time we showed kind of a funny story. Again, I've been blessed, like I said. So we we've started a bunch of them. We've done a few competitions done well that most of what we try to train is like the I prefer the quarter horses, you know what I'm saying? Uh performance horses, probably where my best suit is. I got real stupid about two years ago and agreed to take on this huge warm blood for a veterinarian a buddy of mine who had a partner with a warm blood, and this circuit was big. And we we turned him around well. And it's one of the things where like Over the course of weeks, the word got out, you know, I fixed this big old huge warm blood, and I had warm blood folks call me left and right, you know what I mean? So for about eight months, I started training a bunch of warm bloods. You got to be stupid to do that, son. They're a little different, yeah. You got to be stupid. I did it for a while. Of course, I charged a lot more to train them. They got to the point, like, my wife's like, why the hell are you doing that, David? Every night you come in here saying how much you hate them suckers. You know, they twice as much. They take twice as long to train. And if one of them suckers does go to bucking, son, you better have your mind right. You know what I'm saying? Like hey, riding a wave
0: in the Pacific Ocean, it's going to be a big. Yes, indeed.
1: Yes, and and, and ain't none of them sixteen hands. The ones, that, hey, all suckers are huge. So, but I've trained every kind of horse. Actually, right now I got two Tennessee Walkers in my house, so we trained a little. You know, like anybody in the horse, but if you train a little bit of everything, but I try to focus more, pretty much, you know, on outside horses. You know, to your Performance style quarter horses is what I prefer. You know, like I said at our place, we got cutting flags, roping stuff, we've got cattle, we got, you know, big arenas for, for whatever, a lot of trails, you know, a lot of you know four acres of open land. So we can we can put a horse to about every kind of training you need, you know. And uh, so we're we're blessed to have all that at our access.
0: After uh, the story of the warm bloods, I, I feel like I need to say Louisiana Equine Council all breeds all disciplines. <laughs> all right. so y'all go find a bunch of warm bloods for me to fool. Two weeks. <laughs> Have you ever played with a Friesian at all? Yes. Oh hecky, yeah. I've had a. Uh, it's like riding a giraffe. That head is right up in your face. <laughs> yeah, I've had a couple.
1: I've had about every breed. I've had a couple of Friesians. I tell you, the worst. Somebody says, "What's the worst horse you've ever trained?" I can remember this vividly. There's two that stand out, and I've had a lot. One of them was somebody sent me a little horse. One of my daughter would ride it. It was a little Welsh pony that was a freaking the devil reincarnated. And I actually trained a few for the prison enterprise system. And uh, I trained some for Jerry Lane before he passed away. And Angola had a stud. It was the last stud out of Jerry Lane's horse after he passed away. And they called me up and said, Dave, we want somebody just to get him broke we can handle him. We're going to try to breed to him some. And they brought this big, he was probably about a 17, three hand draft cross that was, I'm talking, probably weighed 1, 17, 1800 pounds.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm
1: talking, she should have been pulling a wagon somewhere. And it was probably the meanest most aggressive horse I have ever had in my life. And, you know, and when you get one that big on a halter, if he wants to turn and go, you, you don't matter how braced you are, you ain't going to stop him. You know yeah. what I mean? And he'd fight you, and that sucker would turn and come at you. And, man, at the end of the first month, I had everything they wanted done. You know, you could catch him. You could handle his feet. I could do my whole obstacle. I got a big ground obstacle course. And they were like, will not you keep another month and will not you see if you can ride him? And that's when I was like, hell no. I said, there ain't enough money in y'all's checking account for the Louisiana State to make me ride this son. I said he will never be ridden his whole life. I know it and y'all know it. So why do it? You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what it do was castrate that son of a gun. I mean, why would you want to breed to something like that? You know? Well, uh, it was a, one know. of the sentimental things. It was a sentimental horse for him. And they say, Look, that about we got a lot of crazy guys living in this place. Yeah, they fool this horse. And I'm like, oh my goodness. That was one of the dumbest. Moves ever made to agree to train some of the I tell you, as you get older and wiser, when you're young, sometimes you'll take them challenges. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. When somebody said, man, I got something. I don't know if you can handle them or not. I'm like, you're probably right. I'll pass. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Have you ever been to the Angola Rodeo? Man, I was blessed.
1: When I was in college, the guy that ran the farm system there went and he started working for Prison Enterprise, overseeing all the cattle and stuff. All right. So not only did I go to the rodeo, I got to go work cows on Angola with most of the guys that win the rodeo. Most, most of them inmates are out there all the time working. That's what mm-hmm. Yeah, is. some of them are actually hands. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I got – and I, I'll never forget, it. we were working cows one day. And we had to work about 200, 250 cows. And there was like four or five cows at the end we're trying to get in this, you know, go through the shooting the catch pin. And they started getting pretty ranked, you know what I mean? And I was actually riding a horse that belonged to Beryl Kane, who used to be the warden, was his son's horse, you know what I mean? And these last four or five cows, I'm talking, was getting hot. It was me and another guy in the pen. They'll find a the guy in charge like, Dave, Dave, man, get that horse out the pen. That's, that's, that's Warren's horse. So I said, well, don't you want try to pin these cows? Get him out the pen. And they probably had eight or ten inmates. Got the pen. They said, boys, y'all put them cows in that chute. <laughs> Ain't no way. And I'd be damned. Them sort of got in there on foot. And it's almost when things were like, I'm going to take the lick and y'all – Bug him. and that yes, they they one by one hand bug and these one a little bit small show head for them suckers was so full blown and I, about 10 folks they manhandled them
0: one at a time into that shoot. That was more exciting to watch in the rodeo. I'm sure it was. I, I mean, if you were writing a script for a movie, can you come up with a better name for a warden at Angola Prison than Burl Kane? I mean, it's just it's perfect. Absolutely. So he's, actually working over, he's actually working with us in Mississippi now. Okay. Well, cool. Yeah. The reason we're doing this interview, you're going to be coming to our annual meeting here in January. And I think we're going to be having you run a problem horse clinic with about four or five horses. So I thought I would ask you a few questions in that vein. So let's say someone brings you a horse and they say, David, I'm having some problems. What are you an experienced horseman looking for as that person's leading that horse up? to you what, what's what's your evaluation you process you right and you've trained a lot of horses like me there, there's a lot of times a lot
1: of folks bring us horses to train that we can probably fix in about 10 minutes you know i mean you know a lot a lot of times we're going to cut that part out david you want to start <laughs> there, there's a lot of times you tell folks you know on the phone you can realize talk to them on the phone is it a horse problem or a people problem you yeah know? and a lot of times though those ones that are people problems are tougher to fix because you basically trained your horse to a negative habit, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah. We can probably fix in 10 minutes, but when you put it back in that same environment, he's going to fall back right into it for them 10 minutes later, you know? So it's almost yeah. like, so yeah, there's a lot of things. Yeah. When somebody walks a horse up you can tell right away, if the horse walks on top of them, it's a disrespect for horse, you know? And it's, and I tell you, a lot of folks, it's amazing how many times you may have a horse and i have given to write down all the problems. And there'll be a whole page and a half of issues. Well, sometimes you can teach them one or two little things. And a lot of times I say, look, focus, focus on the process, not the problem. Okay. Sometimes we get so busy trying to focus on every problem. A horse got a bucking issue. We focus so much trying to fix the bucking. Well, let's just start with the process. You know, we got, I got like an 80 step process we do when we train horses, you know, start for one, start for two. A lot of times by the time you're on their back, the problem's gone. You know, so the problem wasn't, wasn't the buck and wasn't the rod. It was something way back over here, whether it had been just respect, whether it had been just confidence, whether it had been communication. So we we'll spent a lot of time just going from, you know, every horse, whether, I, whether it's a two-year-old horse I got in my house or somebody brings a 20-year-old rope horse that go through the same process. Now, obviously, an older horse is going to advance a whole lot quicker than a young horse, but we teach them step-by-step. You know, by going that way, to me, I solve a lot
0: of problems before I ever get to them, you know. Yep. Well, that's good there's there's definitely a, a a discipline to being methodical that just does things that that nothing else can do sure all
1: right and, and there's always things that you know like for instance you know all my stuff and i'd be glad to share with you if you want to give it to your people i mean it's, it's not no secret just the way i just and i have every buy a train of horse for it's like an 85 page checkpoint you know you know we just we go down and check each one off and it's almost kind of like you hate to use the word military because it's you know but if they can't conquer this tag, you don't go to the next. You know what I mean? If, and if so, to me, somewhere along the way, you can hit problems. That to fix the problems, you got to go back up there to where you skipped over something. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? the hips. You know, you, if a horse, you know, don't want to move his hips. Well, you can't just skip over that and expect to get down a line and try to side pass and it at work. You know, eventually you got to go back and fix the problem, you know. So we do a lot of that. And, of course, you know, we may not hobble every horse, but there's some horses that will benefit a whole lot more for it, from it than others you know, whether it be hobbling or time or, you know, ground tying, things like that, you know. So yeah, it, every horse, like I said, every horse has a purpose. One of the hardest things when people like me and you train horses, and I tell folks this, you're paying me for my honesty, okay? You're paying me for my honesty, and it may not be what you want. I don't have to tell it to you, but if you want my honesty, I'm going to give it to you, and you may not like it. And the hardest thing to tell people sometimes is this horse just ain't a good fit for you, you know what I mean? But it's just, if you got somebody that's brand new, and and from my perspective, when you train horses – the most valuable marketing tool you have is your reputation. So, if I train a horse of mine, I put three or four months into it, you know, we try, I charge, you know, $12.50 a month, you know. So, if somebody fits four months with me, you know, they get $5,000. Well, if they go home and that's not a good fit and it don't work, they're going to be, they're going to be pissed. I would be, you know, trying to tell folks in the very beginning, at least give them the honesty. We can do this. And, I, and something I try to do more and more now is kind of do like a quick video of the horse that they can keep. So you know you get them ones that you train a horse for three months, and it's great, and they get home and in three days they call you up saying, He don't do a damn thing, he don't do yeah. nothing I you say, here's a quick video I'm gonna send you. No, he does it, you know. Yeah, I mean, obviously, part of training horses is sometimes is training people too, you know, and that's to me, that's the most difficult thing, you know, just because me and you can make a lot of horses do something. A lot of times I, I kind of say, and I guess when you talk when you when you think about the purpose of a horse and the function of the rider. And I had no saying where well, the best way to make a better horse is to become a better rider. And as you know, you can be, you can take an average rider and put them on a phenomenal horse. that look like look like trash, or you can take a great rider and put on a below average horse and
0: make folks think that horse is awesome right there. Yep. I mean? and That's uh, a statement everybody needs to listen to when they go to their next horse sale to try to buy something, by the way.
1: Correct. Oh,
0: yeah. Look,
1: I, I, I do. We, we do a lot. We don't, I don't try to sell a lot of horses. And one of the reasons being is because when you sell a horse, you sell it, whether it's got your brand on it or not. If you want to sell it, it's it, 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 your reputation. You know what I mean? And I can get on a horse, and in three weeks, I can take a pretty trashy horse and make him look pretty dang good. Mm. And I can have a horse roping our hot heels, head and heel, working cows. I mean, you know, loping circles pretty. But chances are if he wasn't doing it good three weeks ago, he ain't going to do it in three weeks when he sits in the field for somebody else. You know what I mean? So yeah. sell stuff. I try to put a little bit of a guarantee with it, try to put your name behind it. So, you know, my thing is when you sell stuff, but in order to do that, you know, you want to make sure when you sell it, it's a good fit as well. You know what I mean? So I try to err on the side of, of caution. And if I put my name on something and sell it, try, try to be pretty certain it's going fit to the, fit
0: the purpose of where it's going. You know. I always tell them I'd rather break your heart than your neck. That's, that's my little saying there yeah yeah so the same sort of scenario let's say you have somebody that's bringing you a horse what sorts of things are you looking for as that person interacts with the horse that might give you some tips i mean i know that the phone call thing you said there is, yeah, is well, you, know, true? you know i've got
1: i've got a nice facility big ramp in big arena. So a lot of you know I I prefer to ride performance horses when I can. You know I may not show them all, but I just like to do that stuff. And, and in that scenario, obviously you like bloodlines, but but really you want first of all you want to meet to me when I'm picking something. I want to see an athlete. You know what I mean? You've Got to be athletic and you got to be sound. Them two things are first and foremost. You know what I mean? So if I'm if I and and we train a lot of horses that are going to go on to be cutters or ranners or something like that. You know what I mean? You know, if it's not an athlete, some, you know, there's some jobs in the horse business, you just got to be an athlete for. You know, you hear a lot of folks complain about LSU football because they got all the athletes, but they don't always win. Well, same with horses. You got to have an athlete to do a lot of the stuff you're going to do in the performance world. You know what I mean? Then you got to sound this. And then you can tell a lot of times when you work with them, you want a horse. You know, Buster Welch used to say there's a difference in a horse that says, I can, and one that says, I will. You know what I mean? There's a lot of horses with a lot of talent that just have that kind of mindset where they want to just fight you through everything. You know, I, I want to find a horse that's willing and wanting to learn and progress, you know? And I think sometimes, you know, one thing like when I was training Silverado that made it so easy. Silverado was a horse that I could train him for 15 minutes or for three hours. And he was always willing to learn more. He was always picking up the next step. He was always grasping and you get some horses that mentally, after 10 or 15, 20 minutes of concentrated work, their mind's just gone. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, the mental aspect that a lot of folks can't understand or can't grasp, you know. But when I'm training a horse, I want to find that right mental aspect, of course, physical aspect. You know, of course, when you're selling stuff, of course, how it looks and how he's bred two thirds of the step sometimes when you're trying to sell a quick horse, you know, I don't try mm-hmm. to do. But those are all different things we look at, you know, like, so I can put a horse in a round pen sometimes and just loping in both ways, maybe do a few turns and see how athletic he's going to be, you know what I mean. So those are a lot, you know, some of the things I look for when I'm trying to train one, you know, color is always pretty, uh, and you can sell color, but color don't change what's on the inside, you know what I mean. So there's a lot of folks, a lot of folks you've probably seen go buy a horse by the way he's looked, his color
0: and they get burned that way, you know. Oh, they'll come with a checklist. He needs to be 15 to yeah. 1250 pounds, blue roan, on want him on dark points and all that. And like, how about we just find a good horse, and if he happens right. to be blue roan, then we'll just be lucky, you know. <laughs> right, right. And I guess we're kind of talking about this, so we'll just finish up. Do you have any advice for people buying a horse, like a, a quick checklist or – or three or four things, or a tip, or something that they should be looking for.
1: And I've I've got I've got about a forty-five point checklist that that I have for buying horses. And, and of course, some of it's you know kind of like – and I guess sometimes it depends on the value of the horse. Let's say that yeah, I'm buying a trail ride horse for twenty-five hundred bucks. You can't be too picky. Is he sound? Does he move good? Is a temperament ride? Is he tail swishing every time? He, you know, now if I'm going to go buy one, that's going to be a performance horse for 20,000, well, then you're going to get a lot more particular on, you know, vet checks and everything else down the line. But i would go back to that same thing. For what I'm picking, for me personally, I want an athlete. You know what I'm saying? Now, obviously, we now probably one of the easiest sorts to sell. sometimes is just your bond-proof trail horse. You know what I mean? When you're buying and selling horses, one of the hardest things, and you probably know this, you hate it, but there's a lot of people that give the horse industry a bad name because they disguise stuff. You know what I mean? And there's and and you know I don't know what you do about it, but you know it's, it just my goal was to never be that guy where somebody says he sold me a horse and he said it did this, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, yeah. And unfortunately, there's a lot, and not just but every business you have those things, you know what I mean? Um, so you know I I, I can say honestly I've never in my life except one time when a customer wanted me to, but gave a horse a drug. Of course, it wasn't a sale, it was just an experiment. You know what I'm saying? But you know, there's no doubt that it happens, you know what I mean? But to me, yeah, just, you know, when you, when you can learn and for a green person in the horse world, it's best say, here's a checklist, just ask the owner. But when you learn to kind of read temperament and read mentality and read stuff like that, you can see through those things. Unfortunately, most people can't, you know what I mean? So I would say if you don't have that knowledge, you need to find somebody you trust who's to, to go with you. You know, what I, mean? I mean, I have a lot of friends who buy horses and they'll shoot stuff, do they see them all along with them at this horse. They really love him. I had a uh, friend walk back to that, and I watched the video. I'm like, man, it's a, a six-minute visit a horse is swinging his tail three to six minutes. I know he's walking, but his tail's swishing the whole time. The range are tight the whole time. No normal person sees a horse walking slow through the woods. We yeah. see that's that like he turns him loose. He's on a racehorse, you know what I mean?
0: Yep.
1: Yeah. If, if you don't know, get help, you know, is what I'd say, you know. Um, I remember I had a guy brought a horse to me one time, from North Mississippi, drove all the way down here, and he told me it, it was a seven-year-old paint horse. The horse's name was Skunk, black and white paint horse named Skunk, and he wanted me to finish it for him. Okay, been the two trainers, and I was going to finish it for him. So he leaves, and I remember he didn't have a check or nothing with him. Can I just mail it to you? Well, okay, whatever. We already discussed, bring a check, whatever. And I had a buddy with me. I said, let's go on a quick trip. And I said, do not you ride that horse right there? He, he hops on that sucker, and as soon as he threw his leg over his outer circle it to just jump straight up in the air. You know what I mean? So he jumps off. I'm like, what'd you do? He said, no, this horse is broke, man. So I hopped on him, and he tried it real slow a little bit, and I was in my arena, thank goodness. About 30 seconds later, you know, the worst ones is when you think something's calm, and they actually have a freaking cannonball on their butt and just freaking implode. This son of a gun implodes. And this is when I could ride a bucking horse. Now, right now, I, I wouldn't call myself somebody to ride up anymore, but back then, I could ride the hair off of a, son of a gun. you know? This son of a gun tees off, and I ain't ready at all, and I make about eight jumps with him, and he's going down, then he just breaks into a bolt down my pin, and it was, was kind of wet, and I'm thinking, this son of a gun's going to jump the damn fence. He's going to try to, and I got about a seven-foot eye, I, and I, only time I've ever jumped off a bucket horse, you know what, <laughs> what I'm saying? I jump off horse, hits the dang pin, bam, and I got up, and I was pissed. And I call that guy. I'm like, sir, what the hell's going on with his horse? You know what I mean? He said, oh, well, I, th- I thought you seen the two trainers. Why well, did? But then he, t- well, the first was an old guy, it wasn't good. I think he might have thrown him one time. Same guy started it, it, hurt him, broke him, hurt him. I'm like, well, you don't need to finish. You need him broke. You know what I mean? And I asked what it was for. He had like a seven year old little son. And I said, sir, with all due respect, you need to turn around right now and come get this horse. I said, I'm not training this horse for your seven-year-old kid. Yeah, it, ain't, it, ain't, it ain't worth it, you know what I mean? And I've had two or three times where somebody brought a horse for like a kid or a woman that just, you know, you know, you, you ride a horse for three weeks and you just ran out of blue goes the buck, and that's just not a horse you can put a kid on, you know what I mean? I <laughs> send some of those home from time to time. But it's amazing what people will put a loved one on just to save money. It is it is amazing where somebody go buy a horse for five. It was only 500 bucks. And they're gonna put their kids on him, you know. When they could, you know, two thousand more got some bond proof, you know.
0: Yeah, they don't. They don't factor ER bills into that price at all, do they? No sir.
1: No sir. It's pain. It's it's and it's a painful lesson to see people have to experience. And I've seen. that. You know, we had a kid up in Natchez about six months ago. Young kid, they got drugged. You know, I think he was six or seven years old. Got drugged to death on one kid when at a, at a birthday party. You know what I mean? And it's just like you got to say. I mean. It's just hard. It's 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 painful to see. When I when I did the big Silverado thing, all right. At the time, Silverado was the highest selling Mustang. And it was kind of funny at the auction, pretty much if you wanted your horse, you just kind of you know told them you wanted, and they made sure you got three, four hundred bucks, you know what I'm saying? And we did Silverado. So when it came time to sell Silverado, my son wrote him in the pen and man, they started to bid and, and I told him I'm gonna buy him back 300, 400, 500, 1,000, 2,000. Next thing I went, ten thousand dollars. So, at this point, my father-in-law was bidding, okay? <laughs> kind of funny looking back now because it was him bidding. They had a guy from Texas, at a big kid's ranch in Texas, and somebody else. And, like, the crowd thought it was like a game. You know what I'm saying? Like, my guy would bid. Everybody, yeah. The other guy would bid. Boo. And I I don't want it no more. we I don't want it no more. We want it. And I'm just like, oh, my. It was like, I think, 11-5. This is how stupid am I. So they said, look, Dave, I won like 6,000 bucks. They said, look, Dave, let's make it easy. We'll keep the money you want. You keep the horse. We'll call it even. I'm good with that. And they said, I want you to use him kind of as an ambassador to help promote him. And I did it for a little bit, and it probably would have been a good thing for me because they wanted me to take him out, take him all around. I think, I think John Lyon's son ended up actually doing it for him. And I thought, I said, you know, I said, you know, I said, I'm going to have to decline on this. The more I thought about it, I said, because, we're trying to get new people into the horse industry. And if we get new people to adopt these Mustangs, it's going to be a freaking disaster. And to me, that's how we get them out of the, I said, I mean, and I remember we have a big college up here in Natchez, Alcorn went and got adopted 10 of them to teach students. And I'm like, as much as I want to see new people in the horse industry, if we get them to adopt Mustangs after two months, they're going to
0: hate them, hate horses, and you lost them for life. You know what I mean? So, I have the same objection. Yeah, they they actually the Mustang things recruit trainers. A lot of people don't don't realize that, but they're kind of right. using trainer, good you know, high level people uh, to make it what these Mustangs can do. And it's it's like uh, judging you know a high school kid off of what Tom Brady can do. It's it's not really a real fair comparison. So uh, I, I now now, now
1: now I'll say this: if you, once you
0: get one of them broke and and solid.
1: That, that You know, like my horse still my six-year-old daughter rides them every day everywhere in the world. You know I mean? Once you get them broke and are they're as reliable as anything you can get on. But the process from getting them out of that BLM facility to getting where they're broke to put a kid on, you know, that, that takes somebody with some skill. You know, that's not a beginning training uh, situation there, you know. So, look, I support the Mustang thing. I still fool a lot of them. I still love them. But if somebody doesn't know what they're doing, that doesn't need to be a family's first
0: horse. For sure. Yeah, I know. I think that's probably a good place to leave it, David. I certainly appreciate you coming on. It's been enlightening and entertaining, and can't wait to see you face-to-face again at the annual meeting in January and and watch what you do with the horses that we have for you.
1: Well, I don't know if we've said anything with any value, but it's been a good time.
0: See you in a few weeks. Okay, man. Thank you much. I sure appreciate it. We would like to remind everybody that the Louisiana Equine Council's annual meeting is this coming Saturday, January 15th in Opelousas, Louisiana. The meeting begins at 9 a.m. It's on Highway 190, just west of town. The address is 1939 West St. Landry Street, Opelousas. It's the Yambalee building where the LSU Ag Center's office is. Behind that is the Yambalee Arena, where we will have a clinic with David Carter after lunch. Please come out and renew your membership or join the Louisiana Equine Council and help us to help you, one voice, all breeds, all discipline. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Louisiana Equine Council Podcast. I've been your host, Daniel Dauphin. Thanks for coming along for the ride.